Thank you for joining us today. This is Clint Byers, lead pastor of Forward Church. I pray this message blesses and encourages you. I hope it inspires transformative grace in your heart and establishes you even deeper in your new covenant identity in Christ. Now take a deep breath, become aware of God's spirit within you, and enjoy the message. This is the passage that I, that I really want to focus in on today. Um, this is Second uh, Corinthians sixteen nine, and I just want to focus on the first part of it. It's just really standing out to me. I'm going to I'm going to dig into this. We're going to look at what these words are, but so Second Chronicles sixteen nine, the first part says, "For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro." throughout the whole earth. How many of you are visual people? So like instantly you start to get a picture of what this might look like. You know, so like when you see his eyes, are they like this? And if you're listening, I'm looking mean. I'm trying to look mean. Mm, You know, or is it, is he, whoa, what? I can't believe you're doing that. Or whatever love looks like, you know. I'm not an actor, so I don't, it's like, that might, be, that might be derangement. I don't know what that one is. <laughs> but his eyes are full of love. You know, this is the thing, I, and I, I read from this near-death experience book last week, and I, I don't make a big deal. I don't adopt beliefs out of that, but, but the ones that resonate with Scripture and they really seem to be really encountering Christ, they're just really impactful to me. But one of the things that, that these people experience is that when they see Jesus, they just see nothing but love. They just see love in his eyes. And his eyes, it's almost, it's almost like they have a hard time looking at him because he's just so loving. And it's like he sees everything about them with, without the judgment because they see that he took that upon them, but yet it's pure love. And that's just what I see. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong in the behalf of them whose heart is perfect toward him. Now, let me ask you this. Is your heart perfect toward him? Now, those of you that know what perfect means, you can say yes, but some, some, some folks don't. Let me read this. That, so that, I think that's New King James. This is the Tanakh, the JPS Tanakh translation, which I, I don't, I'm not super familiar with it. I looked at it a little bit, but it, it has, it's more close. It's, it's a closer translation to Hebrew. And it's interesting because it says here, uh, to show himself strong in behalf of them whose heart is whole toward him. And that's a more accurate translation of what the word perfect means. Because when you look at the definition of the word perfect, it's Salem or Salim. It has to do with peace. In fact, so this may be helpful to you if you've got a phone or if you've got your Bible with you. I know we always put the scriptures up so you don't have to, but... If you want to reference back, because I'm going to walk through some of these definitions, but if you want to have right in front of you to be able to kind of check back to this particular passage, 2 Chronicles 16, 9, you don't have to, but I just want to walk through some of these. And if you can't read that, I'm sorry, you can look on the back, but I'll also walk you through it. So this is basically just each of the key words in that particular passage broken down and, and some of their definitions. Because this is the picture. See, this, this, is the, this, this is a big facet of what 
this church is all about. I want to change the way you see God. Like Jesus. Jesus changed the way that we saw God and framed him in the context of relationship and as a father. There's absolutely still the justice side. There's absolutely still that side that hates sin. There's still all of that. And all of that is also expressed in God through Christ, but it was directed at Christ on the cross and Christ dealt with it. So where we are now is in the relationship that Christ has because Him being our atoning sacrifice puts us in this loving relationship we are, where we are inheritors of God's kingdom. And this is what God wants you to do. God wants you to know and experience Him as a father. Of course He wants you to live above the strength of sin. Of course He wants you to live that holy, set-apart life. Of, of course He does. We would never say that He doesn't. But the way that you experience the compassion and the grace to actually live within that is knowing His love for you, knowing that you're secure in His family. And you guys know this. You know, we talk about this all the time. But I, but I just want you to walk out of here recognizing God's not trying to do confusing things in your life. He's actually looking for ways to show himself strong on your behalf. And, you know, if you've got some traditional types of views, especially, well, you'll see where I'm going here. Let's walk through a couple of these passages here. So the eyes, it's interesting, the definition of eyes in the Hebrew, it is eyes, but it's also spring or fountain. And you just get this idea that there's something coming out of him. There's something coming out of his eyes. It's not that he's just looking at you. There's something coming from him, right? And what's coming from him? He's seeking to sh show himself strong on your behalf. And so that phrase, to show himself strong, is the Hebrew word hazak. Anybody want to say it? One, two, three. Hazak. <laughs> get a little huh. I was with a South African friend the last couple of days, and they got the oh, they got that guttural, but it's the same as Hebrew. But so hazak, you remember, but do you remember that word? I did a I did a message, uh, I don't know, a couple of months ago now, and talked about this the the word hazak. Now, hazak means so he's seeking to show himself strong on your behalf. Just know that even in this moment right now, this is what God's doing. He's looking at you. And he's seeking to do this. He's seeking to strengthen, to prevail. Now, interesting, the word harden. Where, have you, where does that, what does that make you think of? So this is Pharaoh, just so that you know. Uh, Exodus 4.21. And now, and now, if you've got a God's in control, God's predestined everything, he made some people to be evil, Every little thing's all planned out. Only the people that he's picked to be saved can be saved. You know, I'm not going to name names, but if that's the background you come out of, you, that's, all that sounds very familiar to you. This, tied to Romans 9, are huge anchors in the idea that everything's pre-planned and nothing happens that he's not chosen to happen. You get the point. So it's interesting that here, Exodus 4.21, and this is about uh, Israel being delivered from Egypt as God works with Moses um, through the story of Exodus. And so here, Exodus 4.21, And the Lord said to Moses, When you go back to Egypt, 
See that all you do, see, see that you do all those wonders before Pharaoh, which I have put in your hand, but I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Now, if you read that at face value, you're thinking God, before ever even giving Pharaoh a chance to repent, before ever even, you know, it's almost as if Pharaoh didn't have free will, as if he was just a pawn in God's hand. And you got to, you know, I'm telling you, if, that's, if that is your perspective, it's hard to see a different perspective. I understand that. I'm not going into that type of teaching today, but when you go back to Romans 9 and you see it as God is validating, He does whatever He wants and He makes some people evil for His own purposes, it's after He's given them the chance to repent. So this word here, I will harden his heart, talking about Pharaoh. Guess what word that is? It's hazak, which does mean harden, but it means strengthen, prevail, harden, be strong, become strong, be courageous, be firm, grow firm, be resolute, be sore. Now, here's a biblical interpretive mechanism that you must know. Jesus teaches in Mark 4 and Matthew 13 the principle of the seed. And he says... Uh, if you don't understand this parable, you're not going to understand any other teaching that I have. So it's as if, if you're ever confused about a teaching, go back to that. It's kind of a Rosetta Stone to help us understand. And the deeper layer that it helps us understand in terms of God's interaction with us is our hearts. You get a new heart when you're born again. Praise God. Say, I have a new heart. My heart is not wicked. My heart is not evil. I have a new heart. Some of y'all aren't saying it. Some of you are like, I don't know about that one. You don't know what I did last night. Listen, I'm just telling you, God gives you a new heart, and it's no longer wicked. Yes, of course, before you got born again, and before the circumcision of the heart, and before God removed the body of flesh out of you, and did a spiritual circumcision on you. You can go back and read that in Colossians 2. He removed that inner being that was corrupt and broken and dead because of, you were dead in your sin, now you are alive in Christ. The, mecha, the, the, the inner workings of you being alive in Christ is that He gave you a new heart and He put His Spirit in you. And that heart is like what David prayed. David prayed, Lord, create in me a clean heart. You know, he was prophesying about what we would be like after the new birth, this new covenant. It's, it's a promise of the new covenant, all the way back to Ezekiel. Uh, that, you know, he'd give us a new heart and he'd put his spirit within us. You are not a wicked, deceitful sinner by nature any longer. You are the righteousness of God in Christ. It's the kind of being that you are. Amen? Because you've been made new to the core in spirit. That's why we have to renew our minds and put on the new man because the rest of your being has to experience renewal. But one day that'll all be redeemed as well, right? Man, I, I could easily rabbit trail into that because it's one of my favorite things to talk about and it's, it's just not talked about enough in the body of Christ. But the idea is this. The idea of hazak is 
when God moves towards you to embrace an, another definition, I didn't put it in there, but one of the another, another facet of the definition of, of Hazak is to hold your heart. And here's the picture, right? Here's, and, and so you understand Jesus teaches about Mark 4, the, the, the condition of the heart, the receptivity of the heart to the Word of God determines the degree that that Word will produce life within you, some 30, some 60, some 100-fold. He's not talking about what kind of people they are. He's talking about heart conditions in that. Go back and read Mark 4 this week. But the idea is this. When God moves toward you, how does your heart respond? Does it harden and shy away, put up barriers, distrust? I don't know about this. Last time, mm. or does it open in faith and embrace him? When he moves toward you, do you let him? strengthen you? Do you let him encourage you? Sometimes we're in so much guilt and shame that we won't let ourselves be strengthened and encouraged. Sometimes we like to use our debauchery as an excuse to disqualify ourselves from being made whole by God. Sometimes we think the pain that we've been in, or, or maybe it's not even a conscious thing, it's deeper down in your heart. You know, you, you don't feel valuable. You don't feel worthy of God's love. You don't know that God loved you before you loved Him back. And so there's a bit of this hardening when He comes towards you. Now, He's on the inside of you. You're accepted. But when He starts to move into your heart to heal that thing, that root that may be producing this sin habit that just wrecks everything in your life. It's driving that alcoholism. It's driving that perversion. It's driving that anger. It's driving that judgment. But God's, God's spirit on the inside of you is trying to bring wholeness and healing. Are you hardening or are you being strengthened? And that's your choice. God, if you, God just heal me. Well, you know, he's trying. The receptivity of our hearts to him determines the effectiveness of his spirit on the inside of us. Well, that's kind of limiting. You're kind of limiting what God can do. Well, then you explain to me why you're still stuck in your sin. I didn't get one amen on that one. <laughs> Aren't you tired of being judgmental toward people in your thoughts? Aren't you, aren't you tired of just looking at people and feeling ugh, toward people? <laughs> you know, do you know what I'm saying? God can heal that. But we, we harden because we're protecting ourselves. I was listening to this thing came across my feed as an, uh, a Jordan Peterson. I'm going to give you a Jordan Peterson tip. Anybody like Jordan Peterson in here? I love the guy. There's mixed feelings about him, but I love the guy. Um, and he said, if you have a thought that has a... Now I'm paraphrasing because I understand what he's saying, and I, and I teach this myself, but he said it in a better clinical way. But if you have a thought from the past that's more than, I think he said, more than like 18 months old, it's a memory, 
that when it comes up, it has emotions associated with it and there's still shame or guilt or anger or despisement or anything associated with it, you got to face it. And he, he gave this tip to call it up intentionally, remember it intentionally, and hold it there. Now, what then what we would do is we would replace how we see ourselves in the face of this thing with who we are in Christ. You know, he basically just said face it and walk through it and let it go. But the real strength is you face that thing in that moment. If you were abused, you know, if things were said to you or done to you that you just, you've just put, a, put it away a long time ago, but it still creeps in and messes with you. Or maybe you were exposed to magazines as a kid and it just stuck with you. You know what I'm talking about. And you just can't break free from it. Yes, you can. You absolutely can. Period. <laughs> you can be made whole. But it's the love of God that will bring you to that place. It's not you. Let me just say this and, you know, just give me a minute here. It's not even necessarily your repentance that makes you, that makes God heal you. It's not necessarily you being willing to own it or any of that kind of stuff. Those are factors. You know, repentance is being honest. If anything, what repentance is, it's not really you apologizing to God to get a response out of Him. Repentance is turning to get on the same page with how He sees it, which might mean that you recognize that it's in direct contradiction to how he would command and desire you to live. And you own that and you admit it about yourself. Remembering that he's trying to hazak, he's trying to hold your heart, but will you let him? Will you let him heal that place deep within you? Most Christians get to a place where, you know, everything's pretty good. Life's going pretty good. Everything's pretty manageable. You know, I've got this, 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 things are pretty good, but you still got these things that are just uh, nagging you, you know, little ankle biters, sin habits, a little depression here, a little over-drinking here, a little whatever, you know. There's just such freedom in that. There's such freedom in that from that stuff that you legitimately can experience. But it comes from being receptive to Him. Leaning into him, knowing that he cares about you. It sounds really elementary, let the love of God heal you into wholeness, but it's very deep and profound. I mean, there's nothing else that can do it. And it doesn't happen without your participation. Think about the relationships that you have. Which ones are the most rewarding? It's when there's mutual expression of kindness and compassion, right? May we be that for others so that we can show them God's love. And in fact, the church should be so good at it that the world is like, man, look how they love each other. That makes me want to make their father my father also. And, and uh, you know, that kind of love is not overlooking injustice. It's not permissiveness. It's not saying, well, you know, they did this, but I'm going to love them. You know, you understand what I'm saying. It's 
healthy, mature, whole love where you're not letting yourself be a doormat, but you're also putting them before you. So Hazak, are you hardening or are you letting him strengthen you? And he's doing this in behalf of, or he's with, toward. But it's interesting, against is also part of behalf. So you can experience one thing or the other depending on how your heart responds to him. I want him to be with me, beside me. And so then heart, I don't know why I did that weird thing, but heart is inner man. It's the seat of your being. You know, this is the Hebrew. The Greek unpacks heart a little bit more, but it's the heart, the understanding. The, the heart is, you almost could consider it your spiritual subconscious. The heart is what God takes out and then gives you a new one. It's the inner being. It's what defines you. It's that place where spirit and everything else in this dimension connects. It's almost like the, the bridge. Between, it's, like the, it's like the transducer that's energized by spiritual power that then assimilates it into the stuff that you need. Like pure spirit gets poured into your heart, and then the condition of your heart can assimilate it as wisdom or uh, a good decision in finances. Because God's pouring His Spirit into you, but your heart then receives. And if your heart is deceived or hurt or wound, because this new heart that you get, it can be deceived. It can then start to believe lies. It can then take on your carnal identity and, and, and misinterpret the Spirit and not host it well, which is why you want to let God heal you in that deep place because your heart receiving the Spirit of God is going to you know, bend or, or constrict or limit. And this is, again, this is Mark 4, what he teaches about in Mark 4. The soil, the condition of the soil determines how much that, that seed will grow. And so as he, as he moves towards you with his spirit, and he's always moving towards you, will you let him do that which he desires to do? And it's not hard. And sometimes you can test where you are with relationships with people. You know, can you connect with people? I mean, my goodness, how, do you, how dare you say you love God? You can't even love people, as John says. But remember, again, just so you know, this is what we're talking about. The eyes of the Lord run to and fro through the whole earth, seeking to show himself strong for those whose hearts are whole toward him. You will experience God's strength as your heart is whole toward him. And knowing and experiencing and letting him love you into a place of wholeness. Are you with me? I mean, on one level, it's super basic, but on another level, it's like some of the deepest stuff that you can do in letting the Spirit of God do this deep work within you. A lot of Christianity is just kind of lived up here on the surface, you know? It's like, well, you know what? I'm just a sinner, and I'm going to make mistakes, I'm going to mess up, and I'm just going to do my best to manage and hope I make it. And I'm going to repent every now and then, and, you know, I got an excuse to be a sinner. I got an excuse to be a jerk and stay addicted and be carnal. Because, well, that's just what I am. But when you actually adopt and believe the fact that you're the righteousness of God in Christ, it takes away all your excuses. You ain't got no excuse no more. Do you know why you sin? <laughs> Y'all have heard that before. 
because you want to. You get something out of it. You might despise it. You know what I mean? You hate its effects, but you're getting something out of it. But there's grace that's stronger than the temptation to step into the sin. Where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. And just so you know, uh, there's, an, there's a, 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 an under, a misunderstanding of what grace is. You know, most, so most people here, where sin abounds, mercy does much more abound. But that's not where it says. Where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. Oh, yeah. Mercy is you don't get what you deserve from God. He treats you kindness with kindness and forgiveness and compassion, even though you don't deserve it. Grace is power. So this, this idea of hazak being strengthened in your inner man, the, the passages that I read during with the worship section part, Ephesians 3, he prayed that you would be strengthened in your inner man. That's the function of grace, that you are strengthened in your inner being. Grace is transformative spiritual power working on the inside of you through your heart. You need grace to live. It's why it makes sense that you're no longer under sin, but you're under grace. It doesn't mean you're no longer under sin because you're under mercy. So go ahead and sin because God's going to forgive you. It means you're no longer under the power of sin because you are under a greater power, which is grace, which empowers holiness and righteousness. Grace teaches you to live godly. Way more than, 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 than you know, legalism could ever promote within you. But that grace is only effective to the degree that you've allowed him and his love towards you to make you this, to into this place of wholeness. Which is why we got to deal with our stuff. Um, I lost my connection there. Let me keep going here. So then, those those whose hearts are whole or um, perfect toward Him. The word perfect is the word Salem, Salim, however you say it, Salem. And so, those whose hearts are at peace toward Him, right? And the word peace is, uh, or perfect, sorry, the word who are at perfect toward him, but the better translation is peace. And the word perfect means complete. Think about this and ask yourself, is your heart in this state toward him? Complete? Safe? Do you feel it's safe to go to God? Peaceful? It does mean perfect, but not in behavior, but this perfect of whole. You know, if a vase that's not broken, it's perfect because it's not broken. Whole, full, that peace, finished. Say, so it is finished. And this is where, this is the idea that I want to end up on is the idea of part of the definition, the Hebrew definition of perfect denotes this idea of covenant of peace, of keeping covenant relation. Covenant of peace. Did the internet go out? Okay, that explains why I can't see anything. Um, go to, well, let, me, let me just finish these. So complete, full, so those whose hearts are perfect or this, at peace, whole, complete, finished toward him. And then it denotes at a deeper level are in this covenant of peace with him. 
and you experience his strength. Are you with me? So it's almost as if if you don't know that you're at peace with God, you're not going to be in a position to experience his strength. Think about that for just a moment. The areas and times where you're unsure, oh, I don't know if he's mad at me. What did I do wrong? You know, then it seems like everything goes wrong. Are you with me? But when you're at peace with him, when you're in harmony, when you're in sync with him. Now, that's not to say you're in self-righteousness because you've abstained from sin. Because righteousness doesn't come through the works of the law anyway. Righteousness is by faith. You can't, you, listen, you can't keep every commandment and then be righteous. Because that's not how righteousness comes. It comes by faith. Out of this idea here, um, complete and in this covenant, if you would put up the Isaiah 54 passage. This is Isaiah 54, 9 and 10. And I just want to kind of bring this out a little bit more, this idea of covenant of peace. You know, when, we, when, we, when our hearts are soft toward him, when we're letting him do this deep work within us, we then experience this covenant of peace that we have. You're in it. You're safe. You're born again. You're on your way to heaven. But there's an inheritance to experience and a kingdom to display while we're here. Amen. So Isaiah 54, 9, for this is like... Now, Isaiah 54 is after Isaiah 53. (laughs) And most of you know Isaiah 53 is all about Jesus. It's, It's the most profound prophecy of Jesus of what he accomplished on the cross, the exchange, right? He bore, he bore our sicknesses and our disease. The chastisement of our peace was laid upon him. Or the chastisement needful for us to gain peace was laid upon him. He, he carried our griefs and our sorrows and our sicknesses. And it's this idea of exchange, right? Which is how you have to understand the cross. It's how you have to understand atonement. You are weak in and of yourself. You cannot live a godly life that honors and glorifies him in and of yourself. You are dead in your sin without Christ. But on that cross, for all of humanity, he exchanged places. Then it becomes effective for all those who place their faith in him. So your faith is in him. You believe. You believe that God sent Jesus for you? You believe he died for your sin? Went through that grave for you? God raised him from the dead where he forever reigns and you'll be with him? And by your faith in that, in him, in his work, that's your righteousness. That's why you're accepted in eternal light with God. God loves you. God loves everybody. Even the people that reject Him and will experience the lake of fire at the final judgment. God loves them. But you've got to be made righteous by putting your faith in Him. And it's then it becomes more about being born again. Then you walk in the same way that you received Him. You walk with Him. You put your faith in Him, toward Him. You put your expectations, your hopes, you know, the, the your reasonings, the way that you think is toward him. How does he think? How does he see this situation? Let me put on his way of thinking. Let me conduct myself this way because what that does is it gives me confidence in my heart. That's why you should live out of sin is because it keeps your heart soft toward him. So this meaning what Jesus did This is like the waters of Noah to me, for I have sworn that the waters of Noah would never, would no longer cover the earth. So have I sworn that I would not be angry with you. You know, you see our stickers, God's not mad at you. This is where it comes from. 
God swore, God said, I swear. And if anybody can, he can. Because of what Jesus did, I will never be angry with you again. And you should see, you, you know, how many of you have that sticker and, it, and somebody said something negative about it? Yeah, God's not mad at you. And they're like, <laughs> anyway, let me keep going. It's like, you should know this so that you can point them to this and help them understand why you would dare say such a thing, right? God's not mad at you because of what Jesus did. What took you so long? Yeah. He's not all that fired up about your behavior, but he's not mad at you. So, um, oh man, I hear it. Well, God's angry with the wicked every day. Yeah, of course. God hates sin. But you know what he did? He judged it in Christ for every person on the planet. Because not a single person could bear that wrath and anger. Amen? I dare say God's not mad at anybody. Because he's judged everybody's sin, even those who ever will reject him in Christ. God's dealt with the sin issue. God will never judge you for your sin. That's the kind of church we are. That's, and that's a big one. I get it. Some people are like, well, I don't know about that. I can't handle that. I, I, hear us out. Just you know, hang out. Let us develop it a little bit. Jesus is the sufficient atoning sacrifice for all sin the sin of the entire world. In fact, people don't go into the lake of fire because of their sin. It's already been dealt with. They go into the lake of fire because they've not been made righteous. They've not been changed into the kind of being that can live eternally with God. Do you see the difference? Like, like God... Not letting you into his kingdom is not a punishment for your sin. He's already dealt with your sin. But you got to be changed to live with him. Darkness cannot cohabitate with light. If you want to break it down to the fundamentals of why is there a hell, it's because darkness cannot live in light. And there's got to be a place where there's a separation. Please don't go there. So verse 10, uh, so he says, I will, I, I will never be angry with you. I would not be angry with you nor rebuke you. Verse 10, for the mountains shall depart and the hills will be removed, but my kindness shall not depart from you, nor shall my covenant of peace be removed, says the Lord. Would you go to the next passage? I know there's some statements in there, but the next passage... Yeah, so because of that, we can live in this. 2 Peter, verse one, or, uh, 2 Peter 1, chapter 2 through 4. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord as His divine power. When you hear divine power, think grace. That's what it is. His divine power has given to us all, because you're saved by grace, right? What does saved mean? The Greek word for saved is sozo, and what does that mean? Saved, saved healed, delivered, made whole. Saved, healed, delivered, made whole. Free from fear. Free from fear. Louder. Redeemed. 
set apart, prospered. It means all that. Did you know that it means all that? Some of you, maybe you don't know. There's a thing called transliteration. There's translation, which is where you take a word from a particular language and you you write it, you write the definition of it out in another language. In other words, it's like this is the word, but it means this in this language, right? Saved or sozo was transliterated. In other words, they just wrote it from Greek to English. They just, they just wrote the same word into the new language, but they didn't define it. And what saved means is all of that they just said, healed, made whole, delivered, restored, kept safe, prosperous, rescued, delivered from messianic judgment. It means all these things. So, uh, and that's by grace, his power working on the inside of you because he changes you. So through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. So there's, because, you know, and the point here is, it's, it's a little warm in here. Well, somebody bump the air or something. I think that it's changing. Who's hot? I just want to, because you're going to pass out on me. You're not going to, you don't hear God is good if you're hot. <laughs> the anointing flows better at the right temperature, just so you know. But here's the point. And, and I, you know, I know I'm getting into some nuts and bolts here, but we as miracle expecting believers, we that believe that the promises of God are for us today, and we pray for people and it doesn't heal, the healing doesn't always happen. Or I'm not saying that your, world, your life's just going to be perfect and you're not going to have any problems, but there are things that Jesus paid for on the cross that we have the right to expect and experience in life today now. And we see Jesus who went about doing good and healing all, right? Jesus, if you want to know if the clearest picture of who God is, look at Jesus. He is the exact representation of the invisible God. And it's this paradox, right? Because we live in this broken world, but we have these great and precious promises so that we would be a partaker of His divine nature. Amen? Amen. And then go to that Hebrew passage. I think it might be the next one. Hebrews 8, 6, But now He has obtained a more excellent ministry inasmuch as He is also mediator of a better covenant, which was established on better promises. God is seeking to show himself strong on behalf of those whose hearts are established in this new covenant relationship. Can I say it that way? Amen. You know who you are in Christ. And it, and it explains when Jesus teaches in Mark 4 that to those who have more will be given and those who don't, even that which they have will be taken away. We make that a legalistic thing and say that if you're misbehaving, God's going to take away the things that you don't even have. But it's your heart. How receptive is your heart? Is your heart at a place where kingdom seeds can abundantly thrive because you're, you know who you are within Him? Does that make sense to you? You know, and, and, and it's just all tied together. The more secure you are in your relationship with God, the more you will experience the inheritance that He's already given you in Christ. And how are you secure? You keep your heart at peace toward Him. You don't turn away toward Him. You deal with the things that constrict your heart. You deal with those sin issues. You deal with those fears. You deal with those habits. 
you deal with those destructive emotions. You let the Word of God do a work within you. You let the love of God bring you to a place of wholeness, which prepares the soil of your heart to let the kingdom bear the fruit that is your inheritance in Christ. And the reason you're not experiencing that which you know Jesus paid for you to experience is because your heart in some way or the other is constricting experiencing it. Now, praise God, God's bigger than your heart. First John, I think, 3 or 4, God's bigger than your heart, right? And He's God, and I'm not going to limit Him to just this, you know what I'm saying? But in general, if you want to experience His promises, let Him love you into a place of wholeness. Because what it does is it'll change your desires, and those things you're hung up about not having in your life look different because they've been changed your desires at a deeper level have been changed by God's love for you. Oh, yes. And the expectations that you have are more in alignment with how He would love you and how He would love through you. Yes. And this is just really the kind of stuff that, you you know, it's like we don't know how to do these things. I keep referring back to Mark 4. I probably should have put it in my notes. But, it, but it's like he says all this is the kingdom and here's how it works. You want to know how it, all this stuff that we're talking about, you want to know how it works? Here's how Jesus explains how it works. It's like a farmer who casts seed into the ground. He goes to sleep. He wakes up. He doesn't know how it works, but the seed produces after its own kind. The kingdom of the living God is on the inside of you because Christ is in you. And that kingdom is complete. That kingdom is full and whole. That kingdom is not withholding things from you. That kingdom wants you in a position, that word, that spirit wants you in a position where you're not limited any longer. You're not, you're not choosing carnality and selfishness and sin and anger and worry and fear. You're not choosing that stuff. You're going to reset. I mean, it was getting a little hot in here, wasn't it? And then we reset, we reset the thermostat. Now it's a little cooler. Your heart does the same thing. Your heart will bring you back to a place where, where, to where you're comfortable, but it will also change where you're comfortable. Some of us are too comfortable with our carnality. I mean, where are, we, where are you limiting God? And it's not just about sin, because you, you know, you, you have a vision of how to impact your friends and your family. I know that you have desires of people that you care about and that you love and you want them to know God's love for them. And I'm not saying when you get this stuff working, you're going to go fix them. But I'm just saying you become a more productive vessel with the capacity of love like God's love when you let this work be done within you. And the church, unfortunately, has developed some empty programs where it's like, if you just go through our program, then you'll be at a place where you're delivered. Well, you know, I mean, deliverance is from the Lord. You have been delivered from the power of darkness and translated into the kingdom of His dear Son. And the kingdom of His dear Son is in you. If you're a Christian and you feel like you need to go somebody else to get delivered, grow up. Now, you might need some help. I get it. I understand. Maybe you don't know. 
but you can know. You can walk free from that. You can walk free from that stuff. I know that, I know that really kind of pokes some people the wrong way. I'm not trying to do that. I'm just saying, it's like, can we just not walk in what Christ has put on the inside of us? Jesus has all authority. There's not one thing that has a right in your life. I don't care what you do. And when you know your authority in him and you exercise it and you're submitted to him, the devil quits. The devil's a quitter. He, he runs away. He flees from you. And this process, you, you let him love you into a place of wholeness. And it's hard because you're in a tough situation in life right now. I understand that. Some of you are in a place where it's like, I don't see any other way. But there is because you know God can make a difference in your life. He makes a way when there is no way. Let him work in you. Quit shying away from the things that embarrass you. Let him do the work. Quit entertaining the sin and then making an excuse for it because it's just whatever your excuse is. Stop it. Let him do the work. Are you with me? Because if we don't, then they out there won't see it. And I dare say you owe it to God to let him bring you to a place of wholeness so that you're a light out there. Because it is the answer. A united church walking in love and power is the answer for this world. I'm not saying we're going to fix it all. I'm just saying until he comes back and he changes everything, we, we can make a huge impact. We are not locked into what the stock market's doing. We're not locked into who's president. I get it. Some of us have a hyper-pessimistic view of the future, and you think, well, it's just all going to hell in a handbasket, and it's dark, and the devil's winning, and let's just hide in a hole until he comes and saves us. <sighs> I mean, I just don't have that view. I have a view that the kingdom of God is increasing. Yes, there's weeds in the garden. There's enemies in the garden, that, in, the, in the land that Jesus is dealing with. But we are like the children in the desert, having been delivered daily. Our needs are met. Daily we are sustained, and we are moving with him. In fact, the Israelites limited what God could do for them. It's why they wandered for 40 days. They limited the Holy One of Israel. And it's the same thing we do. We limit but if you let him love you and you honestly, in a mature perspective, let that stuff come up. And sometimes you do need help. I understand that. I don't want to devalue that. And that's where counseling and, you know, some of the great programs come in. And, we, and those are valuable. And we need those. And go get that stuff if you need it. But so that it'll help you put on this understanding of who you are in Christ and own it and live in it. Because there's an inheritance for you to experience and there's a kingdom for you to represent. Amen? Stand up if, we, if you would. I know I keep pushing Chris off back there. Yeah, play, play for just a moment if you would, Chris. We'll just kind of let this sink into our heart. Uh, they're probably flipping the room. But I, I will ask this also, too, when we dismiss here in just a minute. If you have kids, go ahead and go back there and get them so we can flip the room back there for the uh, life group leaders meeting. We're going to have some more announcements about our home groups. We actually have several home groups, but they're all full. 
but we're starting some more, and so we'll be talking about that more so you guys can get plugged in. Father, we thank you that you love us. Just again, put all your attention back on him. You know, it's not about what you've been taught. It's about what he's doing on the inside of you. So just for, just for a couple more minutes here, put your attention back on that love as if Jesus were in the room and you're looking at him and you're wanting to experience him and you're wanting to know him deeper and you're wanting to know him more. And just tell him, I love you, Lord. Thank you for loving me. I will let you work in my life. I will quit hiding from you. I will quit making excuses for my sin. I will quit letting the past define me. I will quit letting anything other than your love for me define me. And I don't know the way forward, but I know that your love can make me whole, which will change my life. So if you can, just lift up your hands to him. And just, it's like you're surrendering. I just give it all to you, Lord. I give it to you. Do a work in me. I'm willing. And as that stuff comes up, I'll own it. I'll sit in it till it breaks, its power breaks, and nothing is left but your love for me. Thank you, Lord. And what would you tell him even in this moment? You can just whisper it to him. Whatever it is that you would tell him, I trust you. Thank you for loving me. I worship you, King of glory my hope and my peace and my strength. I trust you and I love you. I don't know the way forward, but you do, and I put myself in your hands.